Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our members of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position along with your favorite beverage to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine our show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion, we want to say thanks for questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Paul M., Jared W., Todd A., and Mike P. We have a new company and a returning guest on the program today. Dev Renhawa is with us. Dev is the chairman and CEO of Fission 3.0, a uranium-focused exploration company with a portfolio of properties in Canada's Athabasca Basin. Fission 3.0 is listed on the Toronto Venture Exchange under the symbol FUU and also on the US OTC markets under the symbol FISOF. Dev, thanks for coming back on the show. How's life treating you? Oh, it's great. It's a great time to be in the uranium business. The massive shift in population view and uh, certainly made it a lot more fun to be in versus what we've had for several years. <laughs> few fake outs here over the last four and a half years or so, Dev. Um, oh, yeah. It's an interesting place where we're at. You know, current events in the uranium market, Dev, over the last three months or so. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you think this is another potential fake out or do you think that we're uh, sustaining higher? Sure. And, and that's a great question. And I, I think all of us who have uh, been in this space for so long, you, you wonder that. And, um, and whether you're hedging or the question is whether we're this is uh, something's going to happen, and or are we going to begin another stronger leg? If you look back at the uranium bull markets, there's always a strong leg. Uh, what catches my eye this time differently, obviously, is not just the spot price, but the amount of money that has come into the Sprott fund to buy physical, and that's mind-boggling. So where is this money coming from? It's coming from general fund managers who want to have uh, some money in the space. So what do they do? They're buying Peter Groskopf's uh, wonderful idea. Now, as you know, UBC has been around for a while. They've bought it, rebranded it, but they're far more aggressive than the previous group. And uh, so I feel this is different because, and it's the, the, the amount of money that's going into this space is mind boggling. Each day we hear about another country example is Japan finally confessing they can't meet their ESG goals without nuclear power being part of that mix because with 30 nuclear plants not going, they're relying on LNG, which is insane prices. So it's hurting the current deficit and the amount of pollution they're cranking out is mind boggling. So, so I think Japan has said that. And even the last holdout, Germany has recently said, okay, we need it. And so I think they've realized they failed. Uh, Merkel, you know, made some promises. She, I, everybody with a calculator, basic calculator abacus could have told her it wouldn't work, but they spent almost $800 billion trying to build this uh, green network with wind and air. They're going to build like 3,900 kilometers of this uh, circuit. They did 89 kilometers and kind of stopped. They're realizing that now they have to turn on coal. So I think this energy crunch that's happening where people are turning on, uh, you know, if you look at some of the prices of coal, it's only October. What happens when winter hits Europe? What's going to happen? So I think I would say, is this a, a fake out? I don't think so because for the first time you're hearing Germany, uh, Japan, 
you know, the people that are all committed to leaving the space. Oh, no, no, we're can't use nuclear. We're going to use renewables. But the problem is renewables aren't baseload power. And, and so I think the reality is hit uh, that you can't, you can't possibly uh, reach those goals without nuclear power. So I think in that sense, I believe this massive shift in global opinion and every day you, uh, you're seeing countries uh, coming on side saying, okay, how do we make it a part of our mix? Which that kind of language never happened in the last cycle. It was entirely a physical issue. I think that was, uh, but I see, so I, I would say that's a long way of saying, I think, the, yeah, I, I don't think this is, this is not like the other uh, markets we've had, simply because the amount of money that has gone into the physical fund that Sprott has put in, which has driven up the spot price, which is obviously helping all of us. The solar and wind experiment's been a joke. It's just an inferior form of energy. I mean, to liken it with a, the usage of a router on this call and internet connection. If your internet only worked 35, 40, maybe 50% of the time throughout your day, yeah. I mean, you know, you might as well just go to cocktail hour. Exactly. Uh, you know, this is this is ridiculous. And so, also this you know pushing a little bit of room for nuclear here yeah we need you know nuclear's got to be part of the mix right this kind of soft talking the fact is nuclear has to be the core the cornerstone of the mix it has to be the foundation yeah. and the rest of this is all silliness and so absolutely i mean this constant push for electric vehicles you know we need to be uh zero emissions and today you know, the, this morning united nations said oh we can't no, no more deforestation. And then I just, I had to say something on Twitter, be going, hang on. Most people don't realize when they talk about renewables in most countries, they include combustibles and they'll say it's biomass. It's another way of uh, fancy, it's a big lie. It's burning down trees. <laughs> they're burning down trees for energy and they're calling it renewable. So I think it's been, a, I, I would say wind and air has one could say nicely, it's been a fairy tale. But it just meant that trillions of dollars have been wasted in handouts to all these companies, friends of the, I would say friends of the politicians. You know, they sell it to the masses. Oh, we need this, and let's put some more money. We're, we need a green economy. Well, there is no green economy without nuclear. You want electric vehicles, electricity. Where is it going to come from? Where is with cryptocurrencies? You know, where are they? So I think one of the cool ideas, which you're seeing some finally momentum building, is SMR, small modular reactors. Rolls-Royce says they're going to roll it out. Chemicals mentioned it. I do believe that that's the answer uh, moving forward for our industry. Not everybody can build a, you know, $5 billion reactor, but they can build a small one. So I think that is the future, really, for our industry, is so that, instead of cryptocurrency companies mining in Greenland for the purpose of energy or wherever it's super cold, they can do it anywhere. And the same thing with some of these offshore plants. Um, it has to be done. You know, it's, it's a, it's, every day a new plant is being, a uh, coal plant is being set up in China. So it, it's, I, it's, I wish we could all uh, command the sun to crank it up and wonder for baseload power or the wind, but we can't. So I think it's, uh, like you say, it's a, it's been a cruel joke, I would say, to tell the masses. And meanwhile, there so much money has been wasted on handouts to the solar panel companies, this company, that company. And more importantly, it's not working, so people are not going to coal, 
which is, so someone, I think someone said, the so-called screaming of the climate has stopped people from looking at realistic programs, and now people are forced to go to coal. So the very intention was to have less coal, but now you're having more coal. It's a politicians. Politicians want to stay in power, and they people love the narrative, not the empirical. So they tell them stuff what they want to hear. But at the end of the day, I'm just glad that money has poured into the fund for Peter Groskopf, and that has led to a higher spot price, which means companies like ourselves now have a future again. Yeah, absolutely. Let's switch over here to Vision 3.0. Why don't you just sure. give the audience a history here of the company and sure. when you became uh, involved with it? Sure. Well, Vision 3.0 is called Vision 3.0 because it's our third version. Um, you know, our, our background in uranium goes back to 1996. And in 2007, when we started a company called Strathmore Minerals, at the peak of the top, Peter Groskopf, the man we just talked about, whose ring we should kiss, um, he said, look, you've got Canadian U.S. assets. Let's spin them off. So we spun off our Canadian assets into Fission Energy. We took that public and with the help of Kepco funding the exploration, boom, we were able to make a discovery called the Waterbury or the Triple R deposit. And we sold that to Lucas Lundin. We, again, split the company or butterfly it and kept the west side of the basin. And we started a company called Fission Uranium. Uh, when that, uh, you know, then we merged with somebody else and we took out so in all these exploration ideas we had on the west side of the basin, we had kept, we spun those into Fission 3.0. That's why it's called Fission 3.0 because this is like, this was the exploration arm. The, the key here is, is that the very unique technology that made this discovery for Triple R and which led to an arrow, obviously, and next gen. What happened was a very smart and brave man who had helped the diamond business folks find garnets along the ground, which led to the Kimberlites. Well, he flies an airplane just designed for strictly picking up, sensing what's along the ground. He would literally go treetops. I'm not kidding you. Treetops, and so he could really sense what was along the ground. And he detected these boulders. And so the boulders led to Triple R. So that technology we've used around the basin, trying to find shallow projects that have indications of uranium outcrop or it's or an actual boulder. And so we have, over the bear market, we kept buying properties, collecting them. When people dropped them, we would get them. It cost you nothing. Um, and as a result, you know, you now we are able to have a very good collection of projects. So the key is that we got these in a the bear market when no one was looking. We use the same technology that discovered triple R. Um, and, and we have the same technical team, and that's really key, is that the basin is not an easy place to understand. Uh, you have to have experience, and thankfully, we've got a team that's made two discoveries in the basin, but different types. The basin Waterbury uh, discovery we had, the Athabasca in the past looked for what's called the unconformities, where you have sand on top of rock, and where the two touch, you call it the unconformity, that's MacArthur, that's Cigar Lake. So we've made one of those called Triple R. So we understand that. But now when Triple R was very different, it's basement hosted and there's no sandstone at all. So our team has got background in making um, discoveries in both settings. And these 14 projects, they're in different types. The deal we announced yesterday morning was two joint ventures. 
One is Kalhardi Bay. It's more like no sandstone, more like triple art type of uh, model. And down here, the Lazy Edward LOI will be drilled next summer. It's more of a conformity model and uh, with some really fascinating uh, targets there. So we have been able to, as I pick up these deposits, uh, all through, and there's a little uh, inklings of what's there. And so we're very glad that the market's turned. Red Cloud raised us $8 million. We have money now, plus we've got these joint ventures. So this year, in the next, this year, we're least without any more joint ventures signed and I think we will do more joint ventures based on the interest level that you know we just added uh, like I said 600 grand plus two and a half million will be spent on the ground plus we get 15% of the company plus an NSR um, so you know uh, the interest in the uranium space has led to our model as a project generator model so now people are coming saying we want to be in the space um, but I need technical help and I want a property that's hasn't, you know, uh, messed up. So that's what we're able to offer uh, potential clients is that, you know, an opportunity to make a discovery. And, and it was really important because a lot of people I know are going to try to find old deposits, you know, 50, hundred million that weren't mined in any cycle for obvious reasons, but they're going to put lipstick and makeup on them. To make them say, oh yeah, but if uranium does this, this is this. You know what? That could be. Those are basically what I call a call on the price. They're really a call on the price of uranium, right? If it goes up, their stock goes up. But the real money is made in any cycle on discoveries. I mean, you look what. Take the last two examples would be certainly Arrow. You know, Arrow, fifteen ninety cents. Boom, it's seven dollars, right? Now, unfortunately, Arrow's also only gone. Uh, next gen's only gone from four to seven now, but other companies have tripled and quadrupled because they're looking for more. So, the if you really want to make money, I believe discoveries matter. Because of that, I think everybody's portfolio in the in the uranium space should include an exploration company. And why not back somebody who's made two discoveries, cashed up, and a strong technical team? I think the exploration area component of a portfolio is important. There is a lot of uh, projects that will be dusted off, and some of them are meaningful, but a lot of them are those uh, Christmas gifts that nobody likes. You just keep passing it around at the next Christmas, the next party. Do you think you guys are going to basically keep some of the key projects that you see as having the most potential, you and Ross looking at that, and then possibly yeah. the rest of the package goes off in order to help monetize and shore up some of the focus on the other core assets? Well, I, that's a great question. You know, PLN is certainly our uh, future project. We've already spent about $14 million on it. It's a very, very large land package. And, you know, people have asked us to break it up in three parts. We might do that. We actually have a board call about it this week sometime. That's our best project. And we have to spend $4.8 million next year out of our flow through. And now that two of our projects that we were going to spend are going to be spent by others, well, now we've got another two and a half million to spend of our own. So the idea is to absolutely, we're not, we know what we have. We're not going to give away any properties, but if someone made us an insane offer, of course, you know, you would look at PLN, but at this point um, we wouldn't do, we already spent 15 million of our own money. And um, the results there are as good as anything everybody else has done in the last while. There's, you know, uh, seven odd meters of 1,500 uh, counts per second, 
you know, that's bigger than anything I've seen lately. Um, so we know there's smoke, and Ross always says where there's you got to before you find the fire, you got to find some smoke. And certainly those drill holes, we got two three areas we want to drill. So absolutely, I mean we have 14 projects, but they're all none were. Hey, let's we got nothing else to do on a Friday afternoon. Let's stake this. Every one of them have geological reasons of why, you know, and our guys very methodically pick projects. I can go project to project and tell you why this one could be has the same signature as you know MacArthur. This has a signature of uh, Arrow. This has there's a reason for every one of our projects. So it wasn't we're in the you know we were so flush in cash we just staked whatever we could. No, every one has a significant geological feature and reason as to why we have it. So I won't be surprised if we see two, three joint ventures. As long as we have a hot uranium market, you'll see a number more joint ventures, but we're not gonna give anything away. But our best project is PLN, and we have almost $5 million to spend on it this year. We'll drill, we'll drill it this winter, uh, which means you know in the next few weeks, early December, we have to clear the uh, ice to its installation, have some develop our drill pads with more ice, and drill it again next summer. So, you know, right now there will be almost eight million dollars worth of drilling minimum next year being done within this company, which is eight million more than we've done the last couple of years. And how about the capital structure here as things stand today, Dev? Can you just cover the shares outstanding, the cash sure. on hand at this point, and then of right. course major holders? We've uh, Sprott did our some of our original fundings when Mr. Rule was active in the uh, Carlsbad office, so they there have large blocks insiders. I uh, I've got about five percent of the company. I would say we have about uh, roughly 250 million shares outstanding, fully looted for the most of it. It's a lot of shares out, um, and we've done financings, and so I think there's going to certainly be we've got to eat through some of these warrants and stuff. And that's why we're a bit more active uh, marketing-wise. But it brings in money, and the warrants are at 15 cents. So it's not like we're, you know, and the stocks, you know. So we have uh, a number of shares out, but I believe that if you still look at the market cap of the company, you know, it's still not uh, that high. I mean, you think of the money that's been spent, and more importantly, you know, I, I call it an asset-rich company with a very strong technical team. Um, and I do believe that discoveries really matter when investors should definitely own one of them. But one thing that, again, it puzzles me is uh, why somebody that's joint ventures with a group of people who've never found anything. That always, that still boggles my mind. You know, uh, you would never, you know, you would never ask someone to build you a house that's never built one before. But people do joint ventures with people who never found anything. So I do get puzzled. Bull markets are great, but they really do bring out folks that just have absolutely no idea and they just sort of desperate to get in the space. They do some bad deals with players who've never found anything before. Yeah, there's been a number of things that have happened over the last few months and certainly this yeah. year as far as you know, juniors coming into Athabasca Basin and juniors coming into the U.S. as well. Yeah. You mentioned Sprott and yourself, you know, you have a fairly large holding. When you guys did some of this initial financing, I know this was a few years ago, but yeah. where was that price at? Can you just remind the audience sure. where you guys own the shares? Yeah, generally the most people own their, we've done financings with Sprott at 10 cents and recently with Red Cloud at 15. So that's not that far off from 21, 22 cents. And obviously those were bear market times and, you know, the, the market is what is the market. So you can't just, 
it, it is what it is. But obviously, you uh, like to have less shares out in, in a perfect world. But you got to remember that Fission 3.0 is literally a legacy of I've got friends who owned Strathmore back in 2007, and they giggle because they've got all these shares of four different companies. So this is something that in a butterfly situation, you get one share of the new company and one share of the old company, right? Now, since we split it three times, literally people in Strathmore way back in 2007, you look in your account today, you have energy fuels, Denison's. Denison, Fission Uranium, and Fission 3.0. So that's why there's a number of shares out. It's just because we've kept it, you know, one for one. So people, it's easy to measure and et cetera. But yeah, they did their financings when Rick was there. And then recently, like I said, Red Cloud has supported us. Otherwise, we just done it ourselves. You know, when times are tough, uh, I didn't take any money in the company cash-wise. And neither did many of our people because we wanted to use the money to keep you got to pay the lawyers and accountants to stay on, and plus you got to keep buying land. So we put all our money in the ground, and, and we're lucky to be here. But it's, uh, like I said, it's a very different world when somebody can go out there and buy, you know, 30-odd million pounds in the open market. I mean, from what I know, like, as long as we, and I think the timing is also seasonality. If you look at chemical stock, okay, look at it seasonality. It always goes up in the fall. And come summer, it falls off and then can picks up. There's a seasonality to this industry. You combine seasonality, energy crunch. So I'm excited to see what the next three to six months are going to be like. Dev, uh, how about where we stand on capital here post the oh. capital raise? If you had to stretch this capital out, would it get you through this time next year? What's your thoughts on maybe the oh. next financing? Yeah, we have about uh, nine million, nine odd, nine and a half million, depending on how many warrants have come in lately. I would say we half of that will be hard cash and half is soft. So the soft has to be spent. That's just part of, uh, you know, having flow through. So we'll have about 5 million um, for, you know, that will easily take us, you know, two, three years out, if not more. Um, again, we don't still don't have a, a big staff. You know, we, we got, almost got, you know, caught shorthanded with this bot deal um, out of nowhere. You know, we only had a part-time bookkeeper and a uh, someone who did the books. And I think the total bill for those, the accounting people were like 3,000, right? And uh, the previous time, we had like four or five people working. So we're fortunate to beef back up. Um, we still have a low overhead relatively. And so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm happy that I think the 5 million will last quite a while. Um, and that's not including any new fundings. So we have 5 million hard, roughly 5 million soft. And we'll still have, and I think with the warrant still continue to bring in um, a lot of money. It was 90000 a couple of weeks ago. So, you know, if every, you know, that covers more than our overhead. So we're in good shape. Talk about this traction expiration arrangement and relationship. You know, how'd this come about? Maybe just talk about the background on this. And what do you think of the traction team? They're good financial people. They're good. They know we run public companies efficiently. They were brought to us by someone at Sprott and said, look, and they said, you know, these are good guys. And Sprott gave them a lead order for their funding. So I knew they were going to get funded, right? At the end of the day, you know, we manage the, the project. We pick the holes. Obviously, we have a joint venture group that, you know, will, uh, but really, we're the operators. Um, and so their key strength is financial. Perfect, right? And uh, 
I noticed their stock has gone up about 70% today. Uh, they were, uh, I think it's TRC, and they were trading around 55 cents this morning, and the day before they were in the 30s. So they they obviously know what they're doing market-wise, uh, and they have got a lead order from Sprott. You know, for us, uh, we're looking for strong financial partners that, you know, they'll be uh, straightforward to work with, and that's we're very fortunate to have that. You mentioned it just a little bit earlier, Dev. I suspect some of the properties you guys are still open to potential offers on JV or option or in type arrangements with the uh, 3.0 portfolio at this point. Oh, yeah. I've got another we had a call yesterday out of London, uh, uh, another call today. There's about six groups hovering around, you know, but it's not that simple, you know, in the basin. You have to have perm drilling permits. You have to have you're ready for ice. Uh, seasonality. Sometimes you got to drill in the summer, sometimes in the winter. So it's, you know, uh, it's 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 people want to drill right away. They want this, but it's not that. Athabasca is a tough place uh, compared to drilling for copper in Arizona because um, of seasonality. So it's not that easy. But our group is well aware of it. Um, you know, our idea is pro. You know. Probably drill PLN is my guess, and nothing changes, and we don't spend lots of money there. Uh, but then also take at least a million of it and prep uh, four to five other projects for summer drilling. Um, geophysics, narrowing down the targets, uh, like Cree Bay. You know, we we see a wonderful, wonderful target based on what Orano next door has done um, with Forum, and they're they're getting lots of sniffs, but they haven't hit. We have a feeling it might be on our property, but we before we start drilling, um, we uh, need to do some more, uh, fly it again and see what's going on in ground geophysics to narrow down these targets. Um, so you'll probably see us spend, you know, uh, minimum of $600 million just tar uh, narrowing down targets on four of our projects. And they're about 150 to 200 grand to do that kind of thing for each property. And how about further acquisitions of property, Dev? Anything you're looking at to add at this point in the basin area? And then also let me couple that with any expiration yeah. intentions or anything beyond Athabasca in terms of other jurisdictions. No, we've considered that. I think our strength, stick to your knitting, as they say. We know the basin, and the basin is still the Saudi Arabia of uranium. It's the highest grades in the world. Great government support. Um, with 70 years of uranium, you know, mining there, nobody can see in my backyard. So the grade's number one, politically the right place to be. Um, infrastructure is there. So it would be hard-pressed for us because, and plus our technical team has done so well and understands the two types of deposits you can get there. Um, but, uh, you know, acquisition-wise, we stake land, and there's not much because you can do everything online today. It's not the old days, middle of winter, throwing out, you know, flying over a spot and trying to hit it. That's not uh, – so there's very little land actually left. Now, we did grab some land, and I can't say right now. Someone dropped it. Um, we have a full team that's this, a wonderful lady, Janet. She is on it every uh, – as soon as something drops, she gets an alert and talks to Ray and Ross, and they take it or they if they want. But it's within what we're trying to do, absolutely. Um, yeah, when you look at the amount of 
land package we picked up slowly without anybody looking, it, it's quite mind-boggling. You know, whether, you know, ISO's got some land right there, whether so-and-so, but we didn't pick it because they're there. We picked it because of our own geological reasons. Um, you you got to remember something, you know. It takes a hell of a lot of brains and balls to do what Ray and Ross did, which was Ross and Ray also spent some time in the diamond business, and they realized the way that they found those kimberlites was to do be able to do a super crazy thousands of kilometers of exploration very quickly. They would take choppers, airplanes, and go super close to the ground. And I'm talking 15, 20 feet with an airplane, treetops here, okay? And they pick up those garnets, which then they followed them up ice, and they found the kimberlites. What's well, exactly here, but the amount of courage and brains it took uh, from Ross and Ray and the technical team is significant. You got those who have not been in the space realize that when I got in it, people wouldn't even talk to you about the west side of the basin. Everybody believed all the uranium was in the basin. We speak today, meaning you can't find uranium unless you've got sandstone. That's Cigar Lake. That's MacArthur. Now shut up and leave the room if you don't understand it. And they would they call you idiot if you brought anything up. I know that. I got friends within chemical and they would guys would say, What are you doing? There's nothing out there. So all kudos to these guys to going and remember triple uh, R is not in the basin. And even Arrow has very little sandstone. Okay? Very little compared to four hundred meters of sandstone over in cigar and everything else. So, you know, um, our guys are smart. They, you know, kudos to them for thinking outside the box. And we found a discovery now in the basin with no sandstone, basement hosted. And everybody said that was impossible. But they did. So these guys are smart, and we give them uh, lots of rope to go out and try different different crazy ideas. I trust them. You know, and uh, it's always fascinating to sit with these guys. We did this uh, about three weeks ago before I left Kelowna. Got everybody in the room through uh, Zoom. There's 12 of us, right? All talking about giving input and no judgment, just looking at our projects, saying, how would you look at it? So, and that's the kind of thing that people who invest with us need to know. It's not a one-man show or a two-man show. It's a group of people who look at everything differently. And that's what led to the entire West Side, is people like that thinking outside the box. So we won't go outside the basin. Um, we just won't because it's not our, and we really want to be in the project generator model. We want it to be our mind, our properties, other people's money, okay, for the most part. Now, like you said, it makes sense to take uh, PLN, our big project, and pump four or five million into it because that's the closest sniff we have to discovery. And it's only, you know, kilometers away from Arrow, kilometers away from Triple R. It's right there especially the Brochure Lake project if people want to go online. So that's uh, why we're going to stick where we are. Um, we have the right people who understand it. Dev, besides uh, looking at potential transactions for some of the non-core properties and, of course, the upcoming drill program, any other initiatives that you see happening with the company in terms of, say, the next year, uh, maybe objectives you want to complete outside of what I just mentioned by this time next year? You know, if the, depending what the market does, if we depend what the, it's, it's hard to give a such a crappy answer, but it really depends what the uranium spot price will be, because spot price determines how much 
capital comes into our space and that determines your options, right? So I don't want to say we may not acquire somebody or we may not be acquired. Um, I just, if, if someone can tell me the spot price at that time, you know, I'll lay out options. But, you know, keep in mind, you know, we've, our management team's done a deal with Sumotomo in Japan. We've done a Korea with a utility from Korea, KEPCO. We've dealt with the Chinese Communist Central Government and done a deal. Um, we sold two companies to Lucas Landin. Um, we're good at deal making and our, our ears are always open. At the end of the day, because we, I've never been given any shares in any of these deals. I've had to buy my own shares. Um, we uh, we want to make do what's best for our shareholders at all times. And, you know, we don't always do it right, but that's our goal. Management and shareholders are aligned. And that's one thing we, we don't have a bunch of free shares given to us. And, you know, we don't start brand new companies every time we have a new idea. We always stuff anything in the Athabasca comes here because that's what we know. Um, and that's why, I'm, like I said, uh, I'm excited because suddenly there's, you know, we're going to spend next year uh, $7.5 million minimum on our projects. That's, that excites me with our technical team. Dev, as you know, there's probably 15 or so juniors in the Athabasca Basin competing for investor attention. Right. Tell us what makes Fission 3.0 and the strategy of the company a better right. proposition over the others. Track record, you know, it all comes down to track record. When you look at making discoveries uh, in a bear market, we discovered Waterbury, Triple uh, R project, uh, developed it, sold it. At the end of the day, it's people. And I don't know how anybody can say that who has made more, you know, nobody's made two discoveries in the basin. Obviously, Lee and the guys did a great job with Mr. Sykes and et cetera. But really, there is no other, no other technical group that's done what they've done. And that's a lot of it's not to do with leadership of Ross McElroy, who's on our board now, stayed on the board and stepped down because of his commitment to, uh, to moving forward Triple R with FCU. But it comes down to people um, and land. You gotta have. Uh, we've got 14 projects, 14, not two, not three, 14. Uh, and one project is so huge you can split it into three or four more. So it's it's a very significant. We're asset rich, technically strong, and now we've got cash. So we're in a good position. But keep in mind, this is expiration, right? <laughs> this is expiration. Um, and is risky, and that's why you want to bring in partners to uh, keep down your risk. Very simple question, like Rick Rule always says. You know, Rick has uh, not only funded me, but always I consider this always a, him and Eric. I always thought were the two smartest investors I've ever met. And it comes down to the people. Have they got a track record? You know, I remember one group trying to get money, and Rick says their, their record is unblemished with success. <laughs> meaning they didn't do very well. Um, and so it comes down to track record and having assets, projects. Remember, all our projects are 100% owned, no royalties on them, because we staked everything. We did it all ourselves. Um, so very, very clean projects, We and we staked every one of these things, which makes me proud as a team and um, that we're able to keep these, all through the tough times, we're able to keep the projects.
Dave, I appreciate that. And for potential investors who are on the sidelines listening in, market cap of Vision 3.0 stands at about 45 million Canadian. What would you say to them about considering this uranium exploration vehicle at the current price level? Well, I think we're just, I believe there's a strong leg in uranium left. Really, really, and the last leg is always the longest and goes the furthest. I would say definitely own, you know, a Cameco, another med team, but have something junior. And if you're going to do, pick something, you look at the chart, technically, if it breaks through 24, it can go to 30, 40 quite easily. And there's volume there. It's not like you're going to be stuck, you know, buying 100,000 shares and who do you sell it to? There's lots of liquidity. And we are doing, trying some different marketing ideas to get our name uh, on the shelf space. Um, but we don't, you know, it, it's, uh, you got to watch doing that. But uh, I, I just think it's, the uranium space is a place to be, bet on people who've done it before. Then the best way for investors to reach out to the company? Though our website, Fission 3.0 Corp, our symbol is uh, F-U-U in Canada. And uh, there's a phone number to call in. I know if someone emails me or sends me something on Twitter, I always answer back. And But that's easy to see. And um, there's an interesting piece that came up, by the way. I, I'll send to you Dave Talbot put out yesterday morning to his desk at Red Cloud. I consider David Talbot the best uranium analyst out there right now. Nobody touches him. Rob Chang was pretty good, but uh, he's uh, on the dark side working with companies. But uh, Dave is very bright, and he just gives a phenomenal explanation about these two projects we just joined ventured, why they have such good chances of being hit. And um, if I get a chance, I'll send it to you. It's a wonderful piece. And we, didn't, we, don't, we don't pay him for that. Um, he's the one, actually, and we look back, that the boulders we found out at Triple R before we made the discovery in our 16th drill hole, he was always talking about it. He goes, where you got boulder trains, man, there's your aim somewhere. We don't know where sometimes, but on Hardy Bay, we've got boulders that were 8% and and half the, the quarter of all the boulders we found, some are small, some are larger, but they're all high-grade uranium. And we believe that project, for example, is like uh, Talbot says, got a chance like triple r we we have to do some you know sleuth work to find out where that is and that's our goal so i'll send you that one it's a really good piece he's someone i really like because he really gets into the detail technically of why something would work well that sounds good let's go ahead and leave it there for now dev and appreciate the time good luck at fission 3.0 sir thank you thank you for your time